Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke to Michael Singer. Today we're bringing you a full episode of Michael Singer, not just a little 10 minute sample, because the conversation with Michael meant a lot to me. So if you know Michael Singer, it might be because he's the author of The Untethered Soul and The Surrender Project. His new book, Living Untethered, Beyond the Human Predicament, is out on May the 10th. He's one of those people that become famous because of Oprah Winfrey, but he's the real deal. When I had my first conversation with him on Under the Skin, which is obviously available if you uh, want to listen to it, I realized I was talking to someone that had found their own way to awakening and enlightenment. I know that's what interests you. How can you be free of the mechanisms of suffering that operate within and around you? What was great about this conversation, and we had to be sensitive about it, is that while I was talking to Michael, I was literally in the middle of feeling a bit challenged around something. So I thought, I'll take this opportunity to speak to Michael Singer, who is an awakened soul, and tell him what I'm feeling. Michael helped me address those problems. The bit where he talks about letting go of pain is fantastic. Anybody that's ever suffered pain, so that means everybody, will benefit from this episode. I really hope you like it and will join me for more episodes like it. I talk to interesting people every week like Eckhart Tolle, Dr. Gabor Mate and Vandana Shiva and I release a new episode of Under the Skin every Saturday. To hear more episodes of Under the Skin or my meditation podcast, Above the Noise, you simply need to subscribe directly on Luminary or subscribe to the Luminary channel on Apple Podcasts. The conversation with Michael Singer was amazing. I took the opportunity to speak with him authentically and openly. He's coming from the place of awakening that we are all striving to get to. He's understood something very profound, that the self and the wound are one thing. And that when you're feeling suffering, pain, anxiety, fear, and I know that a lot of you listen to this podcast because you're trying to understand your own emotional states, your own fear, your own anxiety. Michael Singer believes that even more powerful than meditation, although he was really cautious, I noticed, around how he framed this. He said it's being able to stay present with your own feelings. He said this thing that when we feel something like threatened or afraid or angry, we have a tendency to sort of grip it, hold it, not let it pass through us. There's a moment where I realized, and I, think I went to say in the conversation, but I got sidetracked. He talked about, like he was talking about like how you allow emotion to pass through you. And when my cat died, Morrissey, right? I really loved that cat more than like people, generally speaking. And when he died, like the death, it hit me like a tidal wave. It, I was sort of annihilated by his death, but I really yielded to it. I really yielded to it, and now. Like even when I see his grave in the garden, I feel a happy connection to the presence. This is very different from a lot of the what I would categorize, and I'm sure you would too, uh, as trauma that I felt when I was a kid. Like a lot of that still, I feel like I have to gingerly walk around the territory of childhood pain, of feelings of like, I don't know, abandonment or insecurity. So I reckon Michael Singer's right. If we allow ourselves to fully feel what we are feeling, I've been trying to do it since the conversation. I only had the conversation yesterday, and when like anxiety is coming up, like I locate where I feel it in my body, like if it's in my heart or my stomach, and I bring presence to it, I'll have to think, well, okay, what is that you're feeling? 
and I don't try and hold on to it. And it really chimes with another thing that Muji said when Muji came on this podcast. You might want to listen to this as a companion piece with a Muji episode because Muji said when he did a guided meditation with us, don't combine. He always says that, Muji. He says, don't combine with it. And I, I find it easy not to combine with the thoughts, you know what I mean? Like if I'm thinking something, I'm able to, t after a while in meditation, just observe it and let go. But when, when I was doing it with Muji, I goes, oh, I've stopped. I've stopped the, I'm not combining with the thoughts. I'm just watching them. But now this sadness is coming. He said, just observe that as well. So you know when different sort of masters and teachers, not necessarily from the same discipline, start telling you the same thing? You start to feel like, hmm, we're getting somewhere. You're going to learn a lot from this podcast with Michael Singer. A few listener shout-outs. Listener shout-outs. Alex Ward said, just, I want to thank you for Under the Skin. I love it. You're like two friends I never met. I also listen quite a lot just before sleep and probably actually in my sleep as I often fall asleep while listening and have to start again in the morning. Alex, what you've done there is you've insulted me while paying me that compliment, using it as a, a kind of a soporific, deadening cudgel to end your day. But I know what you mean. I sometimes fall asleep to comfort in things too. I've started traveling for work, says Laura, four hours a day, and your podcast has helped me use the time wisely. I appreciate the topics you bring forth and the illuminating perspectives and the anecdotes you embellish them with. Russell and Jenny's banter always brings a smile. And what better way to pay tribute to Jenny and to wish her well than acknowledging those uh, though, that that affection that you as listeners hold her in. Tour. Do you want to come and see me? You can do. Go to russellbrown.com right now and get tickets. If you sign up to my mailing list, I'm going to give away a code for people to get half price tickets. So uh, go to sign up to my mailing list at russellbrown.com. I'll give you information about my tour and you'll get codes to attend Bristol and Blackpool for half price. It's a special deal only for under the skin listeners that I'm inventing right now. Go and sign up for my mailing list. I'll give you information for how to do that. And that's the kind of thing you get if you belong to my mailing list, as well as information about the event I'm doing with Wim Hof. I'm going to be doing a one-day event, July the 10th, with Wim Hof. There's only limited tickets, and I'm only going to sell them through my mailing list. So make sure you sign up to the mailing list if you're not already there. Keep watching my YouTube channel as well. But now it's time for Michael Singer on Under the Skin. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you again. I feel the same way. Sorry that I kept you waiting. No problem. What it was, this is before the podcast, I'll tell you just because it's valuable to have someone like you when I feel this feeling. I receive these attacks relatively frequently, Michael. But when I receive them, you know, I feel like this sort of surge of like fear and almost without being grandiose, I hope, a kind of sense of PTSD, a sort of sense of attack coming, attack coming, you know? And it just happened in that moment. So I thought, well, as you're speaking to Michael Singer, you're probably, you know, but. Yeah, I thought I'll tell you that to see how you respond to it. Well, I, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for growth. It's hard. Like the ego is strong, period. We, we all have egos. That's the, we develop a self-concept and we think very important of ourselves and we like to protect ourselves and have everything be the way we want. 
So that's the crux of everything that's going on. And how we react to that sort of thing determines the rest of our lives. Like, you know, uh, you know, uh, in the book that we're talking about now, the new book, it talks about how we store stuff inside. And the question becomes, if you store stuff inside that bothered you, and you have this whole storehouse of things that bother you, what's it going to be like inside? Like everyone's very busy trying to figure out how do I need the outside to be so I'm okay inside? I like to ask, why are you not okay inside? Like, okay, people have attacked you, right? But they, you're a wonderful person and you're very popular and you have wonderful following. So you not really have a major problem with this other than inside is not comfortable. It feels improper and we want to defend ourselves. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody attacked you and you smiled and you said, okay, let's see how we're going to deal with this because I'm not going to deal with it out of anger or fear or defensiveness. I'm going to deal with it out of intelligence, a centered being who handles the situation well inside so that I can handle the situation outside. That's how I like to look at it. If you can't handle it inside, you're going to do everything outside to make yourself feel better inside. Do you understand that? Yes, sir. So, Michael, in your book, Untethered Living, you talk about how to cultivate a, I don't know, a more robust or accepting, I don't know how you would describe it, inner environment order to, in order that we can deal with the vicissitudes of the outer world yes. more in a more healthy and safer way. What are the requirements for this seemingly miraculous uh, possibility? Well... You start off with asking yourself, do I want to be okay inside? Would I rather be troubled or would I rather feel love? Would I rather feel joy? Would I rather feel inspiration? Would I rather feel peace? Peace. And pretty much everyone, I hope, <laughs> is going to say, if I had a choice and there was a button there and I could push the button, I would be able to handle what's happening in front of me without getting upset, without getting angry, without getting needy and so on and so forth. Mm. doesn't mean you know how to do it. But you have to start with uh, intent, right? Is that my intent that I would like to be okay inside while I deal with the outside? It's not that you don't deal with the outside. It's just I have found that if you're okay inside, you do much better outside. If you're not okay inside, you take that energy and throw it outside and it creates a lot of trouble. They can do that. So the requirements are first that your intent is, I would like to learn to be more centered, clear inside. Then the question becomes, how do you do that? I like, I'm very different. I'm weird, all right? Instead of asking, what do I need to do to make it that way? I like to ask, I've always asked of my path, why am I not that way? Not what do I need to do to compensate for the problem I have inside of me? The question is, is this really my natural state? We were all made messed up and we just need to figure out how to be okay? Or is there something really nice inside and we mess that up? so that I can learn to work with what's wrong inside of me, and therefore the outside is much more comfortable. And that's how I've always worked with it. And that's what the Living in Tether book, the new book, deals with, is to start from the position of, you're the most beautiful being ever walked the face of the earth. Of course, if you are, it's easy, all right? But it, there's nothing wrong with you. You're filled with love, filled with joy, filled with enthusiasm and, and inspiration and so on. That is what's naturally inside of you. Then why don't I feel it all the time? I feel it sometimes right? If somebody treats me really nicely or I have a good relationship or I get what I want, I feel good, don't I? Why? Why is it conditional? If it is inside of me, if I have the ability to feel love, I have the ability to feel inspiration, passion, if, if that's what is inside of me sometimes, 
why is it not there all the time? And that's what I like the question to be. Instead of what do I need to get or do to be okay inside, why am I not okay inside all the time? And there's an easy answer, okay? Uh, the easy answer is as follows. If every single thing that ever happened to you throughout your life that bothered you, you decided to keep inside, okay? Uh, you remember your childhood problems, you remember this, you remember a girlfriend broke up with you, you remember every single thing that happened. It's sitting inside. How are you gonna be okay? If you store a whole bunch of stuff that bothers you inside, then you're gonna be bothered inside. Then you need to work on relationships and jobs and on how people talk to you in order to be okay inside so it doesn't stir up that stuff inside. So I'm, I'm, I'm an interesting person who says, then why don't we get rid of that stuff? Why doesn't that be the way you be okay inside? By saying, I'm not gonna store this stuff inside anymore. So the situation you just went through, people are picking, and they do pick on you. I've seen that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're a beautiful person. You really are. You, and, you, and you bring a lot to a lot of people. But of course, they pick on you. You stick your head above the crowd. They're going to try and cut it off. You know that. All right? But I would like to see you think it's fun. Think it's, okay, let's play this game. All right? And not actually be bothered. You can still bring your passion. You can still say everything you're saying. Right? But you're having fun doing it. You feel love. You look at those people and say, what? Aren't they interesting? Right? There are people like that. How do you do that? You do that by deciding, I am not going to store more stuff inside of me. It's bad enough that I have the stuff I do. So you I, I talk about starting what I call low-hanging fruit. You're driving in your car, and the driver in front of you is really irritating you because they're driving slower than the speed limit. You have someplace you need to get. What are you doing? You're causing trouble inside yourself. They are not causing the trouble. Remember, there's a quote from that book, which I love, which is, the moment in front of you is not bothering you. You're bothering yourself about the moment in front of you. Truth? Okay, I mean, it can't bother you. It just comes in. It's just an input that comes in. You then decide to bother yourself about how the person is driving or about the weather or these different situations. So my, what I feel people can do, if they're sincere, is start with these simple things, the low-hanging fruit, and decide I'm not going to do that inside myself. I'm not going to bother myself and then expect the rest of the world to make me be okay. I'm going to learn not to bother myself. So I'll, I'll let you interact with me. I've talked too much. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. There are several things I'd like to follow up on. One is uh, earlier you talked of the idea of this sort of assumption of the malignant state that you might find in like judo-christian theology the fall of man we are fallen we are broken we are sinners we must be redeemed now this is like it, it, you can see how such a theology may have formed because it feels like that to be inside sometimes it feels like that it doesn't feel like when you describe you know and and i've heard other uh, awakened people say comparable things the uh, Maharishi or Eckhart you know like it's beautiful it's be you know you are beautiful we are in the you've already arrived you know that you know that feel like you know maybe you'll find that somewhere in like a uh, Vedic culture or aspects of Buddhism but like but all of them are loaded with asceticism and combat and conflict and Maya and contradiction right so I wonder why there is so much of theology and philosophy that makes these assumptions about suffering and uh, you know the fall and the 
damage because it seems kind of real. That's my first sort of question because I imagine you've got stuff to say about that. And the other thing I, I, I wanted to say is, you know, when you use a simple example like me, right, if there is like 90% of the time, I'm so sorry to say that if I am in traffic and something like that happens, like I might like literally drive around the car. Like I do stuff all the time like that. I fail that, like that low hanging fruit. I like I bang my head on it. I like try and <laughs> kick it off the branches. You know, like, you know, like I, I do stuff. I sort of almost pride myself, Michael, on being like at war with reality. Like <laughs> reality, you're not doing this to me. I'm going to drive around. I'll overtake. I'll go on the pavement. I would never hurt another person. You know what I mean? But like I uh, willingly, like I, I, but I, like I see it as almost as a badge of honor. Now, when, but now this is the, my, the third part. Even though I'm sort of saying, uh, I know I'm saying a lot. When you talk about this, like you know, like the the proper approach or a approach that might be better, how a person might live more comfortably, might be ah. Oh, this person is slowing me down. Now I've got this low-hanging fruit test where my job in this moment is to be okay with these circumstances, to let go of this self that I've constructed that believes it knows what's best for me and when I should arrive at my kid's school or work or wherever it is I'm hastily rushing to now. I'm going to let go of that and I'm going to say, I'm not doing that. Now, when you say, I'm not doing that, who is this that is being beckoned? Who is this I? Who is this internal patriarch? this parent, this father being summoned and what is this discourse that you are proposing? Who are the two entities at play? And I, you know, because I'm familiar, of course, with your um, famous book, Untethered Soul, I know that part of your personal epiphany was this observation of, oh, I'm embarrassed in this moment. Why am I thinking this? Why is there an awkwardness? So I, I wonder how that plays into that idea also, Michael. So that's my stream of inquiry. Okay, you asked a lot of questions. Yes, so I'll tie them all together into one answer. So Thank to you. begin with, who is the I inside? If you're inside, again, I want to start with intent. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with passing some a car if it's going slow and you need to get somewhere. Right? I'm talking about a situation where it's not under your control. It's a single lane situation, and there's nothing you're doing but bothering yourself. Yeah. It's not helping. You're not getting there sooner. You're just causing trouble for yourself. I highly advise you look at that and sit there and say, that's when I pick up my child at school, I'm going to be irritated. Yeah. I'm not going to be really, you've done something damaging inside yourself. You know, in the book, I talk about cost benefit analysis, like business, right? Would you make a decision, you're a business person, would you make a decision where the analysis said 100% cost, zero benefit? Nobody's going to do that. That's what we're doing when we do that. There's no benefit to bothering yourself about something that there's nothing you can do about it reasonably. All right. So you start with that. Then the question is, who is it that's talking inside that's telling me that? Who's saying this is a chance to let go, right? That is just a higher part of your mind. It's still your mind. It's not the self. It's not some spiritual thing, right? There are layers, there are layers of your mind. Okay. And if you understand that, you realize that there's a lower layer of my mind that's getting upset about everything and it's causing all kinds of trouble. It, it ruins my relationships. Okay. I have expectations about how someone's supposed to behave. And if they don't, I don't like them as much and so on and so forth. What if I didn't do that? What if something inside of me that I trained, I want you to talk a little bit higher, help me raise myself. That is a layer of your mind that you train to do something higher than the, the lower layer of your mind that is really just expressing all the stuff you've carried throughout your life. 
the anger and frustration and problems. Like, what is road rage? Somebody, you said you wouldn't hurt anybody. Some people do. (laughs) They get out of their car and shoot somebody, right? Now, what in the world is that all about? That's because their mother did this and their father did that and their girlfriend just left them and so on, right? It's past experiences that you stored inside and didn't handle well. That's not called handling it well if it comes back up like that, all right? So this higher voice, not the higher voice of God, just a higher mind that you bothered to cultivate, just like you clean your house or you, you, you do different things to make your life a little bit easier. You can have a higher layer of your mind that advises you better than these reactive energies. Now, you then asked, what about the untethered soul? When we're talking about this awareness, this witness consciousness, it watches both of those. <laughs> it is aware that the anger and frustration started to come up. And it's aware that this trained layer of my mind, the higher layer of my mind, came in and said, no, don't do that. This is silly. You're getting yourself upset. Somebody's watching both of those. You watch every single thought you have. Okay, that is when you're going deeper. Like I said, you asked a lot of questions, right? When, you, when you're going deeper, you're just in that seat where you're aware that this is going on inside of you. It is that seat that the joy comes from. It is from back there that you ask the question, well, who is this consciousness? What is it that is watching this? If you don't get all involved in the garbage going on below you, you'll find out more and more that you're back there and there's a joy back there that no one knows, some people know about it, like you say, you mentioned some names, all right? That it's unbelievable, all right? It's the most beautiful thing you ever experienced. In fact, that's where love comes from. Now you feel love for somebody because they behave the way you wanted them to, they look the way you want them to, they said what you wanted them to, all of a sudden you feel all this love. If they didn't say that, you wouldn't feel it. That means it's the love from back here passing through your psyche. It made it through your psyche, all right? Mm. If you come back to the source of the love, I don't want to make it sound religious, all right? If you come back to the seat of consciousness, there, that's not religious, to the seat of awareness, it has a quality, it has a nature. And that nature is joy, that nature is love, that nature is inspiration, that nature is everything you ever wanted to feel is going on inside of you. But it's unconditional. Yes. Sometimes when I am meditating, Michael, like sometimes I wake up in the night, I begin to meditate. All that's happening is thought. All that's happening is the static of the mind. And I have to kind of, you know, whether through mantra or breath, somehow bid this spaciousness to be freely inhabited like i go hold on a minute now come on we're just thinking at the moment try to inhabit the spaciousness of this inner world try to allow it just to be try to just be in it watch yourself return to the mantra it's okay it's already there Sometimes it can take me a very long time to achieve that. Sometimes there, there is a um, intransigence and um, it's very, it's tenacious. The, 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 the networks of thought are very sticky. And I feel that part of what you're saying when you're encouraging this, um, you're inviting us to recede into this place, into this seat of our consciousness, that we may feel the ever-present joy, inspiration, love. 
rather than waiting for the correct stimulant, the correct code, the correct external stimulant to sort of prod it out. You know, like my coaching, my training, my biology, my biochemistry has led me to like that. Oh, if I feel approved of, if I feel attracted, if I feel powerful, all these things are potential conduits for the seat for the seat to achieve temporal and relational sovereignty. Elsewise, it remains a kind of pauper in there, like wretched in its thoughts. Do you think that directly the process of meditation, Michael, is um, increasing the possibility for these states of joy by kind of practicing the fundamental thing that you need to do, which is sort of observing rather than combining with the, the phenomena of thought? I absolutely do think so. It does have that effect. But what I have found in my growth, 50 years of trying to figure out how to get all this together, is during the day, every day, stuff's going on outside that's causing changes inside. If you work with that, your meditation becomes very natural. You could just be watching TV and just fall into these high states, all right? It's the reason we have to struggle to get into meditation is because we have stuff inside that's causing the mind to be disturbed. We have stuff inside that's causing the emotions to be disturbed. I like for people to understand that every moment of your day, you have an opportunity to work with that stuff so there's less of it. And then it's a natural state that you fall into these higher states. So the question is, why not what do I do about the noise of the mind? I don't want to talk about that. I want to say, why is the mind so noisy? I mean, did God really just make this mess and stick it inside of us and say, ah, figure out how to get out? <laughs> it's like, why did it get that way? And my experience is it's easy to see. Just watch what causes you to feel love. Like you said, somebody treats you nicely. Somebody says what you want. Somebody behaves in a way or looks in a way that turns you on. Okay, you will then you open. That's the right word. You open as opposed to close. If they behave otherwise, you feel your heart and your mind close. That is a question of what are you storing inside of yourself? If you stored stuff inside that says, I like redheaded women, I like a person who behaves like this because of your past experiences, then when it happens, you will open and you start to understand why it is the way it is. And eventually you sit there and say to yourself, I don't want to be conditional. I'm conditional because of what I stored from my past. I built a psyche, I built a self-concept, I built preferences and hopes and dreams and all kinds of things based on what turned me on before. And I built all kinds of fears and anxieties about things that turned me off before. Why did I store that inside of me? There's no flypaper in there. There's no super glue. There isn't, right? Things can come in and pass through and you can experience them and say, okay, this is an experience I had. It wasn't pleasant right? But I didn't store it inside of me so that it keeps coming back up throughout my life and everything throughout my days, I have to avoid everything. That to me is, is as important, if not more, I'm going to get in trouble, than meditation, right? That is basically saying, I have work to do on myself, all right? And if I will do that on a regular basis, my inner state will be more natural. And that's what I would like for people to work on instead of trying to fight with everything to make it be the way they decided it needed to be, which there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody's telling anybody not to interact with the world, but don't 
Don't store. I, the example I use all the time is this. You go out to eat periodically. But sometimes it doesn't feel so good. It doesn't sit really well. You get a little sick from the dinner, okay? Do you ask for a doggy bag? Let me take this home of the stuff that made you sick. Take it home, put it in a special room, and every morning walk in and take a little bit of each one to make sure you remember how bad it was. You would never do that, but that's what you're doing with your experiences. You're storing everything that ever bothered you inside of you, and it is bubbling back up. That's why when you sit down to meditate, when you wake up at night, which is wonderful that you do that, right? And it's noisy in there, right? It's this stuff trying to release. You stored all this energy inside that's uncomfortable. And so now you have to find a way to get above that. That's wonderful. And people should do that. Meditation is wonderful. But I would love for them to understand that every moment of your day, you have the opportunity to see this stuff come up and just relax, let go, give the energy room to release instead of pushing it back down or expressing it in some negative way. And if you do that, you're going to find out your interstate cleans up very naturally over time. This, you say storage, uh, that we are restoring, we are storing within ourselves these traumatic experiences. Are you talking about memory, are you, which is a sort of synonym for storage and a more commonly used word? Uh, or are you talking about something different? And when we talk, when you talk, Michael, about this uh, work to sort of erase, relinquish, or let go of this storage or memory, what do you mean? Do you mean remaining conscious and observing? So I, I suppose those are my first or next okay. two inquiries. All right. Okay. So memory is a natural function of the mind. The fact that the mind took in, the, the senses pick up the outside world, it comes in and your mind renders it. That's a whole other discussion, right? That you don't really look outside. What's happening is light is bouncing off the objects outside, is stimulating your optic nerves, and it's rendering the same picture inside your mind, all right? So you're in there looking at this. It's just the reality. People don't think like that, I don't understand that, right? But you're in there watching it from inside, okay? And so now basically what happens is you either resist or accept what's happening inside of you. Memory, I'll go back to, you asked memory. Memory is a natural function of mind. Just like you have senses, their natural function is to pick up the light or, or the sound. You have a mind that can render what it picked up. Memory is natural. You, you will remember events that took place just like there's long-term storage on a computer. The difference is if you store something inside of a computer, it doesn't jump up by itself. It doesn't all of a sudden pop up. Oh my God, you know, this reminded me of this and now I'm in trouble again, right? It sits down there stored. That is your long-term storage memory that the mind is capable of doing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff that came in that you didn't let pass through you. You didn't let it enter your consciousness, enter your memory properly. You tagged it as, I don't like this. I'm scared of this. I don't want that. I do want that. You put all kinds of power behind it and didn't let it finish. It didn't finish. You understand that? It stayed inside because you didn't want to fully experience it. If you didn't like it, you pushed it away. Like, Russell, do you have hands inside that can push stuff around in there? Okay, you have will, you have power to do that. So you're actually holding these images that were supposed to go through, be here now. Then the next one comes, but you're still stuck on the one you held on to. That's not, that's not straight memory. So there's your answer, first of all. In, in the Eastern teaching, they call that a samskara, an impression that got stored inside of you because you resisted it, and now it's stuck in there. 
and it, they also have positive some scars, which is something happened that you really liked, you don't want to let it go. So you hold on to it, you cling to it. Buddhists call that clinging. You cling to the image, and now you miss the rest of your life because you want to have that again. So the stuff that you stored where you used your will to hold on to or to resist, that is what I'm talking about. That is the stuff that messes up your energy flow inside and will not let the mind be in its natural state of peace and your heart be in its natural state of love. This process of resistance or clinging, uh, this interaction of the will, a kind of yeah, inner manual relationship, is interesting to me. And this idea that like a computer, a, a purely functional uh, machine for utility won't select things to pop up, doesn't this suggest some kind of essence, the fact that there's a process of selection, a process of resistance, a process of holding and clinging? What is this, or apparently, is this a conditioned or automated response? What's doing that? Well, you know, in Living Untethered, I go right to the beginning. I start with empty mind and then build the mind. So the question you ask, because you are a deep person, you work with yourself, is the deepest question anybody can ever ask, all right? is the consciousness is in there, okay, that's, you're conscious, you're aware. Why do some things bring about the instinctual, I'll call it instinctual, reaction of resistance, and other things bring about the instinctual reaction of clinging? It is true that you will, if you don't watch it, you're going to do that, all right? That power of will will get distracted by something and either hold on to it or push it away because it didn't want to experience it. That is literally, I, I, I heard a little bit of your interview with Eckhart, who is a very beautiful soul, and it was a beautiful interview. He talks about this, the evolution of the soul, that we're all evolving, all right? So consciousness in and of itself, I don't want to get mystical, is, is God. You know, man is created in the image of God, the universal perfection, right? But that consciousness is focusing on your mind and your body and your experiences. And in doing that, it gets it gets fixated, it gets distracted, it, it becomes a human, all right? It becomes this, this individual uh, situation. So basically, that becomes the evolution of the soul, right? The truth of the matter is, if you ask me, what is the purpose of life? It is the liberation of that part of your being to where it can come further and further back to its universal state, to its pure state. But now it's being pulled down into what you've held on inside of you. You're getting distracted by what happened when you were little or just all these different things you stored inside. Why, what is the original reason that pure consciousness does that? You know, and that's asking what, what, what is the original sin? What is, what is the fall from the garden, all right? And, and I'm not claiming to have the answer. How do you like that, okay? <laughs> you <laughs> can't ready, do that. This is I'm, a podcast. I'm, you I'm, tell I'm me right. how it began. I'm, and I'm not ready to answer yet, <laughs> okay? <laughs> You know, there, there are masters walking around, right? Or not walking around in any event. There are beings that have reached very, very high stage. You know that, right? You go, go ask them. <laughs> Recently, my mother was sick. My mother was sick a lot when I was a kid. When she was sick this time, I felt this um, uh, revivification of uh, dormant yet ever-present sadness. I during the experience, I recognized that the self and the wound were not separate, that the wound and the self were in fact one, that, the, that there is no distinction between this wounding of the boy, the boy with the sick mother, the staying away at people's houses. This is me. This is the buttressing.
thing. These are the points of interfacing with external reality. This is the clay. This is the mold. This is the point where the consciousness meets experience. This is what shaped me. I realized I was the wound. I am the wound. The thing that talks is the is the wound. I feel it in my anatomy. I feel it in my uh, 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 abdomen to the left as if it were a spear. Yeah, I feel it there. When you talk, Michael, about allowing this thing to pass through, what is the tool for this? You mean you remain present? You verbally invite it to pass through? You, like, what, what are we doing? Having established that the, the kind of memories that we're interested in are, that is memory plus will, memory plus opinion, memory plus preference. Now that we've uh, you know, recognized that it's some sort of narrativized and uh, sort of somehow um, tagged, bagged um, a piece of, I don't know, data, given your background, what, do, uh, what is this process that allows it to pass through openness the answer is you're open there is a human part of your being right that's you have a body right you've had experiences and you have that in there when it comes up which is natural that it come up all right it is natural that anything that's stored inside of there that caused any sort of disturbances, if it's still stored in there, it's going to come up. We'll talk in a moment what it means to not have it stored in there, but it comes back up. So you experience it. That's, it's hard to talk about that. It's like you're, somebody comes to me and says, my heart hurts. My boyfriend or girlfriend left me, and ever since, for years, I have this pain in my heart, right? I ask them, how do you know? Now you're gonna get mad at me. <laughs> People get mad at me. How do you know you have a pain in your heart? And they like stare at me. That's not what you're supposed to ask. You're supposed to have compassion and you're supposed to understand and ask me, tell me what to do about it. I just want to know how you know there is this pain in your heart. And you'll get frustrated and say, because I feel it. Who does? And you're <laughs> going to come back to the consciousness, Russ, right? You're going to come back to the consciousness. You are awareness and you are aware of the fact that your heart hurts or aware of the fact that you have this spear of pain that's inside, all right? You are aware of that, and you're aware of other things. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with experiencing what you're experiencing. You should totally, wholly experience it, right? But, but the awareness will let, here's the difference. I'm in here, and I don't like this, and it hurts, and I'm gonna keep it at a distance from me, all right? I'm gonna feel it, but I'm, I'm not, all right? As opposed to, and it's hard, I am completely open, this is coming in and I feel tremendous pain. It's, it's so beautiful to be alive. It's beautiful to be able to experience the depth of what I'm experiencing. Now you're not blocking it. It's releasing. It's coming up inside. Like pain can turn into love. It's called transmutation. Literally, it can come in and all of a sudden you feel the pain for your mother, but then there's just tremendous love for her that's overwhelming right? That is, that is a raising of the energy from where it was held to where it comes all the way back into your consciousness and you become a greater being because you experience that. Everything you experience should make you greater. Not I experience it and it hurt the heck out of me and now, now I, I'm, I'm a damaged goods. <laughs> I'm damaged goods, right? If you, ex if you have an experience, it's like everything you learn makes you smarter. I said in the book, right? Everything you learn makes you smarter or more wiser. Everything you experience should be something that makes you a richer, greater being, but not if you block it. Oh, that's so cool. Because I experience a lot. I experience a lot. 
I experienced a lot. And you know, you're right, Michael, with the thing with the mother, it's like, uh, I feel like, I don't want to feel this. Get off. I have a view. I have a view on, on whether it is permissible to feel this yeah. thing. Yeah. And I recognize yeah. while you were talking, I thought, all right, go on then, because I'm feeling it right now. So I thought, I'll let it do its thing. And it sort of was a bit better, actually. Yes. <laughs> I felt it, it was doing what you were doing. It did what your body language did. And for yes, those of you yes. with audio only, Michael was demonstrating it sort of kind of a burgeoning, a kind of flowering, a kind of, uh, what do I want to say, a coruscation, a burning fire in a sort of crucible um, upward as it passes from matter to flame to gas. Oh, man, it's painful. So... um Okay, I understand that. The good news being, I suppose, that I, like, over the course of... I was a drug addict for a long time, huh? Like, a drug addiction is obviously an attempt to sort of manage this phenomena. And you sort of think, well, it's, I'll go straight to the source with chemicals. So tip different things in there and see if I can do it. One time when we were talking before you and I, I said about the pornography. I said, I, like, you know, I look at the pornography and you said, you're attempting to channel. I really like that's it. Right. I like that's it right. when people say things about my sort of what have been regarded as malpractice practice, malpractice, M-A-L, practice, like uh, are actually um, thwarted attempts at spirituality. Now, I notice now, Michael, that you uh, uh, seem at pains to avoid, uh, I imagine because you don't like woo-woo, new age, flaky, balderdash, lapsing into easy language around God. Uh, but it feels to me that this love, this beauty, this joy, <laughs> what do I want to say? Why are you doing that? Why won't you let it be God and stuff? I, I do let it be God, but God's <laughs> just a word, right? And what, uh, it's a word that's everyone's got a totally different concept of, Russell. I mean, you know, <laughs> generally people don't mean the same thing when they say the word God, right? So why why stress it and say you, you have to see it the way I do, yeah. right? It, it is absolutely true that there's two ways that Michael sees God. Right. One is there's something very beautiful inside. I know that. Okay, and and that's amazing. That is that beautiful. All right. And I know that it can even be higher, greater than anything I've experienced normally. All right. Like I say, I I, I do read of some of the great masters, and Mayor Baba talks about the fact that when he reached the final highest state, it was like he'd been a drop of water and it fell into the ocean. Find it. He merged, right? He just fell back into the absolute, and that's very beautiful, right? What's that? Not us, it's your end. Okay, all right. It's so one basically, of your that's people, Michael. Singer. Okay, okay, I accept. See, it's peaceful, <laughs> accepting. I would like so, to see you angrily fire someone right now. That's right. You're out that's of my right. organization. <laughs> oh no, just think, Michael, accept it, accept it. No way. I don't need to put up with this. I'm a bestseller. I'd have you killed. <laughs> so that's one way that I relate to what I would use the word God is that the, it, it's the source of my being. And it just keeps getting higher and higher. And isn't that wonderful? And the second is, I look out and I see a planet spinning through space. I keep pictures all around me of uh, Cassini was 2 million miles out. She turned around and took a picture of the Earth. And it was like the tiniest thing. That, you know, it looked like a star. All right. And I have read that 1.3 million Earths fit inside the sun, Russell. That's how small this thing is. 1.3 million Earths fit inside the sun, and there are 3 billion stars in our galaxy, and there are 2 trillion galaxies. 
Okay, so there's God. Okay, <laughs> to me, to me, what happens to my mind, which it does blow my mind, and the two merge at that point. And there was this. It lets me go back to this free, tremendous beauty, awesomeness, by realizing, look how big this thing is. And we are sitting there making the big deal out of the fact that you know I, I I've got a little mark on my face, or I run in my stocking, or or a scratch on my car. Give me a break, all right? <laughs> so those two things are God to me, all right. That that can 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 be at that level. In other words, just get out of this personal cage you put yourself in, because it's not who you are. The universe is way bigger. Open your mind. Right, you're you're brilliant. Open your mind to the reality of what's going on, instead of letting what's caught in your mind define your reality for you. And there, I've talked about God. I don't do that. <laughs> for、uh-huh. you, I did. Thank you, sir. Do you believe there is some kind of、uh, interface or interconnectivity or non-separateness between this uh, uh, cosmic uh, vastness that you describe and the experience? Individual experience of awareness, or do you believe that they are two separate phenomena? As you know, broadly speaking, what you might refer to as, or what I'll refer to as, mainstream science does—that consciousness emerged from you know biochemical processes. Right. I, I, I certainly do not see that consciousness evolved from biochemical processes. Since we're talking about science, let's do that quickly. Oh, what our scientists have now shown us is unbelievable. Like Oprah asked me, I did her last week. I, I mean, excuse me, I interviewed her last week, and she asked that interface between science and, and religion. Can we talk about that, right? Yes. So ba- basically, what our science has showed us is that what we're really looking at is a bunch of atoms. That's all it is. Okay, it's just atoms. There's nothing else. It's the whole every form you have: your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your your this, your that. Right? Everyone says it's it's all love. It's all atoms. Okay, that's what's out there. Then they looked a little bit further, and they found out well, atoms are made of electrons, neutrons, and protons. Then they looked a little bit further, and they got down to what's called the quantum level: that it's made of quantum particles, quarks, leptons, bosons. All right, what are those? And they talk almost mystically. That there is this thing called a quantum field, and I actually read one scientist use the word omnipresent. It blew me <laughs> away. That field is omnipresent in the farthest <laughs> galaxy. What makes up the galaxies? It makes up absolutely everything. It is obviously omnipotent because it is the cause of all of creation.、Okay. Creation popped out of that field, right? You get down to the the wave particle aspect of light. Remember, right? It has both. So out of this field of energy comes. These particles that then make up our entire world. So to me, that's two out of the three, right? You've got omnipresence, omnipotence. So what we're missing is omniscience, right? That it is all knowing. Well, now you get down to where did the quantum field come from? What is that energy? There are those who teach that the Eastern tradition does that it really is consciousness. That it is consciousness, just like when you make a dream. What is your dream made out of? Consciousness. It's made out of energy. Then this world is made out of consciousness, which expresses itself through energy, which becomes the quantum field, which then builds all the way up. And now you have the trifecta: omnipresence, distance. Right. So yes, it is all tied together. It is all one. Yeah, consciousness precedes matter. I like that better. It makes more sense.、Uh, the the panpsychic component. Sometimes experientially, I sometimes it makes me a bit scared 
I let go and I look around and I feel the non-separateness and it's like a sort of a glitching feeling of reality and I sort of sometimes whip myself back into it. When I took hallucinogens when I was younger, it was this melting of taxonomy and the disabling of the autonomous process of cataloging that sort of is striking you look at the self in the mirror and you think hold on a minute this isn't this isn't right it's not what I've, it's not what I've assumed it to be how do you feel about the more baroque aspects of theology the more expressionistic kind of for example say a Terence McKenna who God rest his soul I very much admire when he talks about sort of hallucinogenic experiences and it's very much it's illustrative and it's there's harlequins and Fabergé eggs of pure consciousness singing being or if you want to go into the Bhagavad Gita and gopis and Krishna and or you know I suppose monotheism it starts to die down a little bit except for the doves and the staircases into heaven and the rainbows and whatnot you know how do you feel about the do you see these uh, things as the you know like for example when you just described how through the materialistic and mechanistic reading of the processes of physics you ultimately end up in a semantic space that may as well be the father the son the holy ghost anyway like and somehow this was intuited millennia ago by the sufis the rishis the saints and the sages they just went oh there's this interconnected web of beingness and individuals are just nodes within the points of this net of one yeah. What do you think about the uh, semantic systems and uh, do you like enjoy them or do you think they're a problem? Do you think that any have any particular veracity over others or what is your feeling? We go back to where we started talking, right? I'm just a person sitting here who has spent the whole, you know, since he's 20 years old, his life researching inside what's going on, exploring, right? To me, I'm not interested. I don't do all this thinking about the different systems and different beliefs and everything. To me, this is how I talk to people. If, you're, if your intent is to grow inside and realize what's going on and help to clean out this garbage you've held inside of you, whatever you're doing is fine. If it's therapy, if it's this, if it's that, and so on. Just if you're working on yourself, I'm proud of you. <laughs> because most people are just trying to dump themselves onto the world so they feel better inside. You understand that? That's what causes all the trouble. That's why there's wars. That's why there's everything. Because people are not comfortable inside and they just make up this stuff the way the outside needs to be that will make them more comfortable. And God knows what they do, either at the individual family level, individual level, or at the uh, government level and stuff like that. So I don't I, I don't have the answers other than people need to work on themselves. They need to stop doing that, right? There's, so there's this awakening, we hope, the age of Aquarius. I don't know. I was around for that. I didn't see it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I was a hippie boy back in my youth. So basically, I accept and honor and respect whatever people believe, whatever the thoughts are, and so on, right? I would just like them to look underneath as to why. Why are they thinking like that? What is deeper inside? Just keep going deeper. Keep letting go of what's not you, and you will end up being you. Like you talked to me about looking in the mirror when you were tripping or something, right? And you say, well, it's not, things are not the way I thought they were. That's not me, all right? Ramdas has a whole thing in his early teachings where he said, okay, I used to play, what did he play? The sax, whatever instrument he played, right? Well, that's not me. I'm not the player of the instrument. I'm not the professor. I'm not the psychologist, right? And you just realize, who am I? 
right? Please just work your way back. You can still have all your thoughts. It's fine. You, you're wonderful. You simulate people, make them think, so on. But ultimately, are you doing the work to say, fine, a thought is a thought. That's all it is, is a thought, okay? <laughs> it, can, it can change in a minute. Fall in love with somebody who has different thoughts, your thoughts will change. Shh. <laughs> okay? <laughs> right or wrong, right? It's like thoughts change. But you who sees them doesn't change. You've been in there the whole time, Russell. Every little boy, you watch those thoughts. You get older, you watch those thoughts. You watch your emotions. The consciousness does not change. It is awareness, it's pure awareness. So that's where I'm at, working my way back to that. But I respect everything everybody else is doing. I love it. It's wonderful, right? But will you please at least try to step back into the real part of your being? At that point, everything can be wonderful. You know, imagine all the people living life at peace. <laughs> you see how you, it feels like, you know, like prior to your, uh, uh, authorship and the books you were written you you know from the books of yours I've read the first two I ain't read this one no one sent me or anything so please don't feel offended if someone gives me this book I'm gonna read it I'll get it I'll go buy it down a shop I want to read your books I love your books I'm sure that you know you're okay with that um it feels like um you were able initially at least to like that your business endeavors in the world of IT benefited from where you were how do we feel about uh, what do I want to say? I'm not. I'm not asking about morality. I'm not asking about morality. I'm asking about application. I'm asking about application. How how does this? How do you know? You've mentioned you spoke to Oprah. I heard of you because of Oprah. When I went on Oprah Winfrey, I'm sure I told you when we first spoke because it's something that stays with me because I met Oprah Winfrey. So that was a, sort of a big thing in my life. She gave me your book. And if Oprah Winfrey gives you a book, you read that book. <laughs> That's what you do. You read it. You don't go, oh, I might read it later. I've got other things. Like, you read it. So, like, uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey is a, a, a great uh, empress of uh, media and uh, of influence. Uh, and we talk of the, the the means of our world are commercial. They are commodity. This is our reality. How do I, how do I do these journeys, Michael? How do I recede backwards into this space? How do I fall into this place? How do I make homes? Like you know, when Jung talks about, you know, I'm disappointed with myself. I love myself. I am rapturous and disappointed simultaneously. How do I reconcile, or do I reconcile, the fact that I'm a person that lives with uh, my own sense of competitiveness, my own sense of desire, my own sense of pettiness and self-centeredness, self my sometimes gargantuan abilities to open myself and channel and be on a stage in front of thousands of people and it just it just comes it just is there it's abundant i'm in this sort of golden river of ease and and then like it ends and suddenly there i am again hungry and wanting all mouth yeah. all mouth and need you know, yeah. how, how do i reconcile these people how do i you know who do i become who i am and how do i be in the world <laughs> that's my question how do i be yes. in the world Okay. <laughs> How do okay. I go out and do my job and stuff right. while awakening? Okay. okay. So let's take a breath. <laughs> you, have, you have inside of you, I'm talking to myself too, uh, you have inside of you energy. And you just described it. You turned me on when you described it that way, all right? That it's just burgeoning inside of you. It's exploding and it comes naturally and it's just pouring through you. And that's just beautiful, all right? That's an energy experience, a high energy experience. 
Like I said, my question is not, how do you get that? It's why you don't you have it all the time? And that's really your question too, by the way, all right? It's, isn't it beautiful when it's flowing like that? It's inside of you. It just comes up because you opened. So the question of how you live in the world and how you work in the world is all the same, which is understand, please, that that is inside of you all the time, Russell and way beyond anything you've ever experienced, that amount of beauty, of energy, of, of enthusiasm, of passion is always going on inside of you. So why is it conditional? Okay, I explained that to you because you stored this stuff on top of it. Literally everything you store in there, you push that stuff down, it is on top of that energy. And now what has to happen is the outside world has to match your, your stored patterns just right so that they open up and then this energy flows inside, okay? So when you ask the question, how do I live in this world? Everything you're doing is to try to open. Everything you're doing is to try and grow inside to become a greater being, a wholer being, right? So business works fine. Relationships work fine. Talking in front of thousands of people and having them cheer at you works fine. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with using the outer situations to let go of your blockages. So when you go on stage and you do your wonderful work that you do and you help a lot of people, all right, because they feel the energy too, by the way, when you're giving it off like that, they are also elevated, mm -hmm. all right? And so it's a service. So basically, but when you stop, you feel the letdown. You feel the energy stops, okay? Yeah. Those are the moments you grow. You look at it and say, well, why did I have to stop? <laughs> why did I have to stop? Because something came inside and said, oh, did I do good? I shouldn't have yeah. said that. Yeah. Or will they all come back next time? Or what, blah, blah. Or it was so good they should have paid me more. <laughs> it's like, whatever the hell it says, it, it closes you. And there's that other part of your being comes back which blocks that energy. I'm All I'm asking you to do is to work with that and to say, I wanna let that go. You, you can't stop it from happening, but when it happens, you can release it. You can, uh, what I teach is relax. Relax behind that energy that closed you. When it starts talking, just relax. Don't try to stop it. Don't judge it. Don't do anything. Just relax, relax. And you're gonna find if you relax, you fall behind it and it can pass through. It can go all the way up and, and it'll be less and less. It literally, there will be, you'll, you'll do a teaching like that or a, 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 a presentation like that. You'll be all stoned and high and beautiful and it won't go away. Oh my God, it won't go away. And then all of a sudden somebody will walk up to you and say, Russell, you shouldn't have said that. And you know what? It won't go away. Oh, cool. It won't, oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Because you let go of the stuff in there that was blocking it. That's all I'm asking people to do is you can't store all this stuff, right? That bothers you and then expect to have energy all the time. Is it too simplistic to say that if you align yourself by, by, by relinquishing the sort of mesh and grids of you know, self-trauma, whatever you want to call it, that you become in alignment with this quantum field and it feels like it can somehow use you as a channel, a, a circuit? Or is that sort of like too kind of anthropomorphic to sort of I, say that? I, I, when it's all said and done, the consciousness and this energy, they're the same thing, right? I, I don't know how much you've studied the Eastern tradition, but they talk about chit shakti, chit shakti, conscious energy. And they say they're one thing that you've talked about the ancient traditions, right? That just like magnetism and electricity are the same thing. It's an electromagnetic field. They used to think they were separate, 
right, Russell? But they're the same energy, the same thing. Well, the Eastern, a lot of the Eastern teachers, yoga teachers and so on, teach of this thing called chit shakti, and they use it in one word, chit shakti. All right? And chit is consciousness, and shakti is energy. That those two things are really just different aspects of the same great force you were talking about. So when you feel all this energy come up inside of you, all right, that is coming from the consciousness ultimately. And uh-huh. so basic, basically, the, the and again, I don't usually, for you, I'm talking like that. I don't usually talk like this. I don't get into the mystical stuff, all right? Why? I'm, interest, I'm interested in, you know you have stuff in there, stuff that bothers you, stuff that comes up periodically and causes anger or fear or self-consciousness, all right? I don't want that to be inside of you. And I want you to understand it does not have to be inside of you. And if it's not inside of you, then you'll feel more of this energy, more of this consciousness, and you can explore for yourself. Yogananda used to say, when you meditate, you're entering the laboratory of soul research. All right? So you'll learn about these things intuitively. I was going to ask, uh, because I couldn't recall, and uh, forgive me for this lack of recollection, whether Yogananda was a a personal guru. I feel like you, you stuck pictures of him up and then you met him or he came to the country. Am I correct in that? Or was that somebody uh, hey, else in your books? He was dead hey, already. No, that was somebody else. But Yogananda was already gone before I ever, or not his body, before I ever tuned into his teachings. And it just, his teachings really moved me and they've they've guided me throughout. That's how I look at that. My question is, what do you think is the significance of gurus and teachers? What is the importance of it? Because uh, like often when, when you're describing this process of letting go of this trauma and this suffering, it's solitary, you know. It's solitary. You're saying experience right. it. The pain comes. The pain comes. Allow the pain to come. Allow the pain. Like experience it. Don't judge it. Don't think about it. Don't right. critique it. Like, release. And release it. Release it. So... Like, this is something that is being undertaken without a teacher. This is something that's being undertaken without solitude. So what is the role of the guru? And why do these traditions, uh, why are they so embedded in, in with, the, with that notion? Right. Well, myself personally, right, is if you're into playing a piano, you may have a bust of, of Beethoven sitting there or Mozart. If you're into golf, right, you have Arnold Palmer or somebody else, right? So to me, these beings these great beings that have reached very, very high states uh, by working within themselves and by letting go and reached way deep into the source of consciousness. I respect that. I respect that. And I respect everybody else's teacher. And I respect that, that, that a human being is a very, very great thing. So isn't it beautiful to see sort of a star, right, that, that reached a very high state? That, to me, is my inspiration. All right? And... Uh, the traditional role of a guru, I didn't have that because Yogananda, I always saw Yogananda as, as my teacher, as my guide, and he wasn't in the body, and I don't have that external form, and I just use it as inspiration. Look how beautiful he was, and look how high he got, and look what an amazing being he was, right? And it's inspiring to help me let go and realize there is something deeper inside myself besides this stuff. <laughs> All right. So that I, I'm not going to answer. I can't answer specifically what you asked of that kind of role because I didn't come up that way. Because I, yeah, this is what I feel. This I feel the same way because we live outside of traditions because our traditions are, yeah, are sometimes deliberately 
um, repressive, it feels like that you know part of what the function of practiced religion is to. You know, I'm not suggesting this is a conspiracy. I'm just saying that there seems to be a practice of making people repressed and making people dependent on external relationships, consumerism, commodification, eating, taking drugs, having sex, watching entertainment, buying new clothes. The whole thing seems to be reliant on this, you know, the, the ex rather than bringing our attention to the stimulation, bringing our attention to the stimuli and, yeah. as you say, fetishizing or fixating yes. uh, upon it. So I... Do do you think that do you think that the inherent truth in what you're saying will be sufficient to make uh, make many people access it? Do you think it matters if that happens or not? Do you think it's important to change the world? I, I all I can do is to take the truths that I've experienced and learned and share, and what I've seen is that it helps a lot of people. You know, the Until the Soul has sold millions and millions and millions of books, right? And People write all the time and talk about how by relaxing around their problems instead of getting into them has changed their life, that they're a better person, that they can handle things better, their relationships are better, their business is better, everything's better, right? Because they got better inside. They got more centered inside. And to me, okay, I'm glad to help. I'm glad it helps, okay? I'm not, I, I don't have the answer. I do, in a sense, I do have the answer to the world's <laughs> problems, right? People should get their stuff together. <laughs> people, people should stop dumping what they can't handle inside themselves out into this world. It's a form of pollution. You understand that? You're polluting, just like you're yeah. dumping stuff into the rivers or into the air. You're taking this anger and this frustration and these needs and these problems that you have inside because you stored garbage inside yourself, stored all these problems inside, and now the only way you feel better is if you release them, if you put them, push them outside. And by the time everybody's doing that, there's 7.5 billion of us around here, Russell, Russell, right? It can cause a lot of trouble, can it? both at the individual level, at the family level, at the community level, and at the government level, the country level, all right? And that's, what it's, that's what's happening. So the answer is that we need to learn to let go of our stuff, to, to stop storing stuff, be able to handle situations better, and then let go of what we already stored. And all of a sudden, you're, you're a beam of light. You become a person that brings solutions to the, to the situation. One of my favorite sayings, I don't know if people get it, right, is that the highest state you can reach is that every moment in front of you, every, excuse me, every moment that passes before you is better off because it did. That's the greatest gift you can give to the world. You can't run everything. You can talk about it all you want, right? But it's big. But you, right now, with what's unfolding in front of you, can you raise it? Can you make it a little better because it came before your consciousness? What, what would happen if people did that? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah, yes, yes. I think a lot lately I around, and I say a lot, I do these meditations when I do my shows, I finish these guided meditations. It comes to me to say, you, you're thinking, your thoughts, they are in your awareness. Your, the, the sound of my voice, it's in your awareness. Your memory of the past, it's in your awareness. Even everything you know about the universe and its origins is in your awareness. The history of the world, the Second World War, Adolf Hitler, all these things, it's all in your awareness. There's nothing you know that's not, in your awareness, you are your awareness. I say these things. I say them. I say them, and I feel them. And um, you know, like this conversation. This conversation has 
made me recognize that, you know, it is peculiar, the contradiction that's held within it, that we are simultaneously infinitesimally small, but also the entirety of the universe. We are the entirety. There is no universe outside of my awareness that I know of. So managing this, accepting, they need to manage it, I suppose, living with this contradiction of, oh, I'm not really uh, I'm not really significant, and yet I am the experiencer of all reality. Uh, you yes. know, this is an interesting place to be. And you know, I came in, and I, because it was you, because I remember you, and I remember how you've impacted me, impacted me through your writing and through our previous conversation. I feel like I'm gonna like, well, I'm not gonna just sort of talk about hypothetical stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna say this is this is it. This is it. Like when I went on, I did a degree in a, a, this university, and they were talking about the origins of yoga and the history of yoga. And I felt as I was looking out the window, if I can't use this now, what is it? Like, you know, what is all this stuff? It's just more stuff, you know? And this conversation, this conversation, I felt it. I felt it in the moment when you said, bring your attention to the pain. Don't like ignore it, you know, and allow it, allow it. And I like that there's something in it that is trying to do something. And for some reason, you don't want to let it. You've got a kind of a critical perspective on its teleology. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You bring you bring a lot of light in the world. All right. You help a lot of people in your own way. All right. And I just want to appreciate that and, and recognize that. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Singer, for your time. I hope I get to come visit you in that place one time. I've written Chit Shakti all over my hands. Chit Shakti. Chit Shakti. Very good. All right. And we we will get you a copy of the new book of Living Untethered. I'll and buy then, it in the shop. It's not. It's not out yet. Oh, That's the can point. I have one then, please? May tenth. We can get you a galley. They were supposed to get you a galley copy. Thank you, Russell. Thank you. I love you. Good to talk to you. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Under the Skin. What an episode that was with Michael Singer. Do you feel reinvigorated? Do you feel awakened and enlivened? Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. You can tag me at Russell Brand or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag Under the Skin. Remember, if you want to come and see me on tour, go to russellbrand.com. Sign up for my mailing list. I'll give you a 50% discount for the Bristol and Blackpool gigs. If you're not meditating and you know how important it is now, you can listen to Above the Noise on this platform. New one released every Wednesday. If you enjoyed this one, have a listen to Michael's previous episode, Muji, like I just told you, and Eckhart Tolle. To hear more episodes of Under the Skin or my meditation podcast, Above the Noise, you simply need to subscribe directly on Luminary or subscribe to the Luminary channel on Apple Podcasts.